This is Calgary Today with Angela Cocott on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. Good Thursday afternoon. Thanks for hanging out with me this afternoon. And maybe we'll play a game throughout the afternoon, listening closely to see when I'm actually going to lose my voice. I figure tomorrow I'm off because we have, of course, the pregame show, the Stamps taking on the Ottawa Red Black. And so our show was going to be finishing at 3.30. So I'm off tomorrow. And I just thought, why would I call in sick? So just bear with me with my voice today. You would be forgiven if the Canada Post labor dispute hasn't really been on your radar. A lot has definitely changed since past contract disputes. However, that's not to say a lot of people, in particular companies, are wondering what's happening with our country's postal service. Dr. Daphne Terrace is a professor of labor relations at the Edwards School of Business at the University of Saskatchewan. She joins us today. Hello, Dr. Terrace. Good afternoon, Angela. And would you agree that a lot of people, this really isn't resonating with them because things have changed so much over the last 10, 15 years? Well, things have changed in the sense that the essentiality of the post has really declined. People are getting along with Internet. With They're not even using faxes anymore. They're not even going you know, to... They're, they're just doing email attachments and they're doing it at lightning speed. So maybe remind us what this dispute is all about for those who haven't been following it as closely. There are, there are two rather large issues that have been looming in the discussions between the two sides. One is uh, the union is alleging that there is a large pay differential between men and women, whereas management is saying that the pay differential is because of the difference between urban and rural routes. And so we don't really know. There's not enough information available to the public to determine what's the truth behind. The other thing is, like a lot of people, the union is being asked to change from a defined benefit pension plan to a defined contribution plan, and that is a very controversial thing to do. Well, I know a lot of people listening right now would say, gosh, at least you've even got a pension plan because companies have changed the way they treat their employees. And we've seen that for sure, the difference between the public sector and the private sector. I want to go back to the the pay differential between men and women, or maybe it's urban and rural. And when we originally even heard that, I thought, you know, I believe in pay equity, but can you really have the same pay for people in rural areas compared to urban areas? I'm, I'm wondering, it's probably a bigger discussion about really how you define pay equity. It's a much bigger discussion, and it has to do with the duties of the job. Are they strictly, are they comparable? Are the hours of work comparable? Is the difficulty of the job comparable? And I suspect this will, if I had to make a prediction, I would probably say that union and management will end up setting up a joint committee to study it. Uh, using experts and, and really examining it, because I'm not sure, given the gap in the pay, that they'll be able to resolve it through collective bargaining. So that's the pay, which usually is the cornerstone of any labor dispute, it seems. But now lately, we have heard more, especially in the public sector, with pensions. Now, let's get into a little bit more detail, because I think people overall understand the difference between defined benefits, defined contributions. But I, I think most people really don't. Okay, good. Then remind it's us. Jargony words. Yeah. Okay. Remind us. Well, a defined 
benefit plan gives you a, you can anticipate well in advance what you will get every year of your retirement. And sometimes there's a little bit of a cost of living adjustment, but you know when you retire what you will get for the remainder of your life. And sometimes you can opt to even have your spouse covered to the remainder of your spouse's life. So that is what's defined. A defined contribution, see, this is where it gets tricky because the defined it sounds the same to the public. Defined contribution means that you and your employer usually are paying into a plan, but you don't know what you're going to get. It will be, depend on the, on the market performance of the investments that you were purchasing, like an RRSP for people who don't have company pensions. Well, and, and a lot of people would say, well, at least then I'm, I'm getting some type of a pension. So when you look at the difference in those plans, it all comes down to money. It's, it's much more expensive for a company to be part of a defined benefit plan over a defined contribution plan? Well, partly it's actuarial risk. They, they need to know in huge detail um, what the average lifespan is, what, you know, how to predict how much liability they have for the future. So partly they have to have a, a much larger pool of money to estimate future liabilities because they're going to be paying out for a very long time. Whereas a defined contribution plan, they know what that pool is, and that pool is what people get when they retire, a portion of that pool. Daphne, what have we seen with other public sector unions? Because we know the pension issue has come up as well, and I've kind of lost track. Have we had any significant public sector unions as well have to change the way their employees are paid with the pension? Yeah, it's very common now for the employer to make that demand. And a lot of times uh, the union will acquiesce to it provided there is a payout or provided there, there's some, they, they are not equivalent. Um, in one sense, a salaried person doesn't have an opportunity to really get wealthy. So when they have a defined benefit, they know how to plan their future. Um, so unions will, they, they're very reluctant to give it up, and often they will come up with a formula that allows people that are in the bargaining unit to get grandfathered. So they don't simply convert into defined um, benefit. What they do is they, they will have people retain their rights to defined uh, to define benefit plan, and then they'll move them into defined contribution in the future. So it, it can get very tricky in negotiating. The other thing that Canada Post is, is trying to do is, because they know the issue is so controversial, the Canada Post is saying, okay, well, how about we'll just do defined contributions for future employees. Mm-hmm. So in a sense, we'll have a two-tier system. And that's not that uncommon these days either as employers make the transition. Now I need to know, though, have we seen this happen with other public sector unions? Have uh, And I'm trying to think of some major disputes in the past. Canada Post always comes to the top of my mind. But have we seen other unions have to acquiesce and say, all right, we will make the changes in the pension? Well, my own, my own faculty union at the University of Saskatchewan, as soon as I, I go into rank as a professor, we, we made the switch um, many years ago. It's, it's not uncommon at all. Um, the, the real question is whether they're going to reach a settlement or whether there will be a lockout. Mm. 
Yeah, and you know what? Let's take a break here because I want to find out more what that means, especially to the average person who is relying on Canada Post. My guest this half hour is Dr. Daphne Terrace. She's a professor of labor relations at the Edwards School of Business, University of Saskatchewan. Back with Dr. Terrace after this. We are talking about uh, Canada Post. Dr. Daphne Terra, she is a professor of labor relations at the Edwards School of Business, University of Saskatchewan. Dr. Terra, just prior to the break, we, we focused a bit on pensions because that's obviously one of the key issues here. But then we are looking at exactly how it's all playing out because a lot of people thought that come tomorrow, Friday, the employees would be locked out. Canada Post was talking about a lockout. Now bring us up to date with what's exactly happened and what could happen next week well as, as i understand it the um, minister department ministry has uh, urged the employer to make an offer for arbitration rather than going into a lockout situation the way it works is there's a million rules canadian labor relations are really really encrusted with rules so before canada post or the union could be in a strike or lockout situation they have to have had 60 days of conciliation and 20 days of cooling off and they have to serve each other you know registered mail kind of you know very rule-bound way of going about it so the employer served on the union a lockout notice that within 72 hours they would have the right to lock out that doesn't mean that they're going to do it they just serve the notice that they might do it. So it doesn't look like they're going to do it because they're actually trying to persuade the union to accept arbitration. The union basically nicely said no thanks, but the tone of the bargaining right now um, is going into a bit of a quiet phase from what I can tell. When they stop posturing and when the belligerent language and the accusations stop is usually when things settle. So, you know, I would listen for the sound of nothing as being a pretty good sign that they're back to the table. It's funny you mentioned the different steps they had to go through, and one of those was registered mail. I just found it funny, especially with Canada Post. Um, Okay, so then that would be the whole lockout, and then the union could turn around and say, we're going to serve strike notice as well, right? Right. The union has a very strong strike vote. They've got between uh, about 91 and 94 percent, 95 percent strike vote, but they have resisted um, giving a strike notice. The other thing, people are very, very concerned about the receipt of things like uh, government security checks, um, old age security, and so on. And within a lot of unions, there is a designation system where certain employees will continue to work or certain types of service will continue. So even though for the general public there may be a a total shutdown of mail service in either a strike or lockout, often there's an agreement that, well, wait a minute, we're not going to get pensioners starving. Mm -hmm. So we'll just continue that type of service for the good of the public. So that would be considered an essential service to make sure that you're well, at least no, delivering not that mail? Technically, but they would buy by their own agreement. Mm. They themselves would say, look, we, we don't want to harm, uh, you know, old people. We don't, we don't want to harm seniors. We don't want to harm people who are dependent on checks. Um, and so both sides would say, okay, that, that, that's beyond the pale. 
You know, and this goes back to maybe our original comments about how people are no longer really tied to the post office. They don't need the post office as much. You know, we, we do so much through email, electronic mail, billing. A lot of people, that's the way they get their checks as well. However, I think when you're talking about that sector who relies on, let's say, their social security, old age security, they may not be as technically savvy, and so they may not have their checks directly going into their bank. Well, that's right. They're, they're the most vulnerable, and there's, there's an understanding and an appreciation that they need to receive their benefits. Um, so I don't think it's in anyone's interest whether the union, the union itself says, no, we don't want to harm them, and management says, you know, gee, we, we're not going to prevent people. But, uh, you know, there, there are other things that can happen uh, if the union decides that they will accept arbitration. Uh, there, there will be an issue that uh, who's going to be the arbitrator will be appointed by the government. Will both sides consensually appoint an arbitrator? Things to watch out for. Are they going to agree to final offer arbitration where each side gives uh, mm. a total package? Or you know, There's all kinds of subtleties that can happen. Nothing can prevent them now from mediating. So it's really up to them how they're going to resolve their dispute. But Canada Post, you know, this is the ninth, they've had 19 previous work stoppages since 1965. Uh, so if, it, if there is a work stoppage, this will be the 20th. And it will be the 20th, but it'll be different than the first. Because I don't because think... The mail is so much less essential than it used to be so then it takes me back to the power of the strike for employees because you you would use that strike card to be able to really pressure the employer and but i don't think you're going to get that in this case however i think more canadians as they become less reliant on mail they become more reliant on canada post delivering their online shopping things Aha. You know, I mean, that would be the only way I think people would really, and then they'd have to switch over to the private couriers. Right. And I mean, there are substitutes for Canada Post, but, you know, when people don't get their, their eBay packages, mm-hmm. they're going to be outraged. Yeah. So you're, you're not making any guesses on this one? I, I think that they're going to settle. I think that there's a, a quiet period right now. I, I think that the kinds of things that they're talking about um, are resolvable. And I think that we should probably ignore a lot of the posturing and rhetoric and, uh, and just pay a lot of attention to whether the issues can actually be negotiated or they require further study. Uh, I, I, I think that there is a resolution possible. And if there's a strike or lockout, rather, an employer uh, determines lockout. Mm-hmm. But if there is a strike or lockout, in this case lockout, it probably will be very short. Which, though, is another thing I wanted to ask you, because during the Conservative government's time, they didn't allow many labor disruptions to go on very long. We had a lot of uh, employees back to work orders. orders, And we've heard from Prime Minister Trudeau saying that would not happen in this case. So we've even got a different government leading the country, and it could be different if it comes down to a, a lockout. There's something very interesting that's happened in addition to a change in government, because all governments in Canada, all of them have had back-to-work orders. So back-to-work orders were not exclusively something that conservatives did, right. although they did it. They, 
they had them very quickly mm-hmm. after a dispute. In fact, there was a back-to-work order in 2011 that created the current uh, labor situation in the collective agreement that is now expired and they're working over. But what's happened is there's been a huge, huge change in the law. So there's much more respect for collective bargaining, for the institution of collective bargaining, and governments that intervene either too quickly, disrespectfully, with too much of a heavy hand, are likely to get slapped back in court. So governments are very reluctant to intervene unless they absolutely have to. That change in the law happened in the last couple of years. The Supreme Court, in a few cases, has fundamentally changed government's approaches. All good information. Daphne, thanks so much for your time today. Oh, you're very welcome. Dr. Daphne Terra, she's a professor of labor relations, the Edwards School of Business at the University of Saskatchewan. Calgary Today with Angela Cocott, weekdays at 3 on News Talk 770 Calgary.